0: Yeah, you feel that crushing bass down in the bottom of your feet? That's your signal that it's time for DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week. DLC delivered the way it's meant to be, completely free. And that's thanks to our sponsors this week, Linda. Oh, Linda, World of Tanks, and Backblaze. They made that possible, bringing DLC to you completely free. DLC, of course, the show... All about gaming and its many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. And also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff kanata That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who's so excited to use his modem to jump on the information superhighway and celebrate Cyber Monday. Christian
1: Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hey, Jeff. Tomorrow... If you're in San Diego, I'm recording my debut comedy album at La Stats in Normal Heights tomorrow at 9 p.m. It's a free show. If you're around, I'd love to see you there. If you're not, tell your friends. It's going to be awesome. Cyber Monday feels like a weirdly archaic term. Why are we still using it? Because robots own us. Robots on oh us.
0: All right. <laughs> um, we're going to be talking uh deals, I guess. We're going to be talking news. We're going to be talking video games and board games. And we're excited because DLC is not only your downloadable Kanata, your downloadable Christian. But this week, once again, DLC is your diva of legacy confirmers because we're so happy to welcome back friend of the show. We can confirm alum, game trailers, and GameStop TV's own... Miss Andrea Renee. Welcome back.
2: Hey, thank you for having me. I love talking with you guys, and I get to stay for the whole show this time.
0: Yay! Yeah, we had to have you back soon, because uh, last time you had to cut out on us a little early, but we're excited. We got you the whole show. We got some fun stuff to talk about. It's, it's uh, not a big week for news, but we're going to talk a lot about the games we've been playing, because uh, we just came off a big holiday weekend with games and fun and all the big releases, but we do have to start the show. The way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the story of the week. King. Story of the Week, it's the story of the week. Story of the Week, of course, the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of gaming. This week, you can submit stories by using our hashtag, it's DLCSOTW, on the Twitters or by visiting our subreddit over at reddit.com slash r slash 5 by 5 dlc Andrea, as I said, not a ton of news this week. We are into the big releases and, you know, got holidays going on. But uh, I'm curious, as our guests, you do get first pick. So what do you consider your story of the week?
2: Well, as you mentioned, there isn't a lot of news going on, but I would have to say that my story of the week is definitely Ubisoft coming forward and saying, hey, sorry guys, our bad, we messed up Assassin's Creed Unity, we're going to give you some free DLC. And it's not just like a little, a little thing they're giving away. For people who've already purchased the season pass, they're giving away like a full AAA title. I mean, that's really huge.
0: Yeah, as you mentioned, the uh it's a little tricky because they're giving away the the first DLC which they had previously been charging for as part of that season pass. So they said to all the people that have already bought this for the with the season pass, we know that you are probably our most hardcore fans. You paid money for it. We can't give you your money back because there's more stuff coming out with the season pass. But what we're going to do is give you another Ubisoft game. And it's not like a lot of these companies do when they're like, hey, it's a free game from two years ago. These are these are actually the biggest games that they've got. You can pick anything, you know, Far Cry 4. You can pick uh, Black Flag. You can pick The Crew. It's, it's you know, top of line stuff here. Um, as a huge... Assassin's Creed fan Andrea, is this is this enough to make up for putting out a buggy game?
2: Um I think I think they're doing the right thing. I think that it's going to be difficult to tell if it's enough yet until, you know, they're done putting out these patches. I mean, keep in mind the game has only been live for a couple of weeks now, and so I think that they still are within the window of being able to fix it. I mean, look at how long it took diablo to get their issues sorted out you know and and people still think that's one of you know the best games of the last couple of years so i think that they can come back from this i for the first time ever as an assassin's creed fan i still have not played unity and i deliberately have not started unity because i was waiting for patch three to come out which it did so i'm going to install all of the patches and then hopefully get started playing but that was a really You never want to play a game before a patch
0: three comes out. Patch three is really always the the sweet <laughs> spot for a game.
2: I mean it's it's tough. You know, I was talking about this recently um with some other people about this kind of changing conception about the game and if it's supposed to be finished on the disc or if it's okay that these Digital patches are happening, you know, on day one of, of launch. And I think that the day is kind of over of the game being finalized when it's pressed on the disc. I think that we have probably seen the last of that of a game being perfect, you know, just on disc without having a single update. I think that's where that time is, has passed.
1: But it, should that be okay? Difference. No, no. There's a huge I think, difference between I think that, perfect I think that and it playable. Is.
2: No, oh. I think that it's okay because we're in a digital age now, and a lot of gamers oh, are buying digitally. Oh, we lost Andrea's
1: mic again. Dang it! Oh well, let's just keep <laughs> moving on. No, Wait. no. What
2: are you talking about? It's, you it, can't can, hear me. No, I can hear you. Joking. I'm saying I don't
1: want to hear you. How oh. can that
2: be okay? How can that be? How can you just be okay with that? I'm not okay with them deliberately shipping something that's broken, knowing that it's broken. Um, but. I'm very much aware that there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes and in the back end of coding and creating, you know, these worlds that we live in from a you know, scientific perspective or, you know, technical perspective that I just am never going to understand. If if
1: you can't do it right, don't do it. And and I get it. And and Space Bob in the chat is probably going to start yelling at me that coding is hard but no that's that's not a good enough reason everything's hard there's some
0: there's some easy stuff there's easy stuff like a skype connection (laughs) that's not easy (laughs) um the the i see both sides to this argument honestly (laughs) i i I, I really do do. i I hate to be in the middle stuck in the middle (laughs) between mom and dad fighting but um i you know i get the frustration i get the frustration of having a game be buggy i think you're overstating it by saying unplayable i think uh, most of the uh, i haven't played unity either but from what i've read all the bugs seem to be ridiculous and dumb and yeah they get in the way of the game but they're not making the game unplayable it's not completely broken there are games that are being shipped broken and that's major a major bummer um and and we should not give these companies slack for for putting out games that aren't done or aren't playable or ha- give you major problems. And this has been a this isn't just this year. This has been happening over a, several years. Um, but on the other hand, it does seem like these companies. And, you know, there's another story here this week of you know Halo Master Chief Edition. The the uh, the head of th- of. 343 Industries also apologized. You know, We had uh, Bonnie Ross coming out and making an apology for her team and saying they're going to do something nice for all the people that bought the game. They're going to make it right. It sucks that we have to have this after the fact, and we can't just have games come out fine, but the complexity, the intensity, the it's got to be out by Christmas mentality leads to this, and I don't think it's 100% the developer's fault. And I hate to give them that slack. I know Christian that's not what you would do, but I do I kind of see what Andrea is saying here.
1: Oh no, it's on the publisher also. It and and anyone else, you know, related to putting out the game, not just the developer, but yeah, it's hard and there are deadlines and oh man, life is rough. Then who it, it it's okay. I used to be an attorney. I am no longer an attorney. My bar licenses are not active. Anything I say is not legal advice. I have to say that. People have tweeted at me and asking, like, why isn't there a class action on this type of thing? So I want to ask you, Jeff and Andrea, is that something – because anytime you see a big lawsuit, people are like, oh, America, Suey McSewerson, Suey Pants, oh, great, they're going to ruin our games. Is that something – in listeners, is that something that you guys think would be positive for the world of gaming? And I don't know if there is a case, but let's assume there is that someone – They find a plaintiff to be to represent the class. An attorney takes this case and sues whomever, let's say, for the point of this example, um, let's say Activision um, for, you know, modern war or advanced warfare whatever. I mean, you Uh,
2: can use the real world example of Battlefield 4 if you want.
1: (laughs) Well, that that actually happened. (laughs) Well, but it wasn't they weren't sued. There wasn't a class brought for the game. It was um, false advertising, I believe. Correct. That correct. I could be wrong.
2: Well, I mean, there was still a class action suit that was, that was, um, organized.
1: And and is that something you you guys would want to see more of? Or do you think it's, are you guys really just okay? This is the world we live in.
2: I'm okay with there not being more litigation around media because I think what a lot of people forget is that this is still a recreational art form, right? Like video games are a form of recreational media and I While I believe that consumers should absolutely get what they pay for and if something is broken that they should be able to get their money back, it's so hard because it's not black and white you know, and, and everybody's issues are different, right? Like you, you can talk to, you can survey a dozen people who played Assassin's Creed on a variety of platforms and you're going to get a different experience probably from each, of, each one of them. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that that's a good thing because it certainly isn't. It should be a much more uniform, you know, well-balanced experience, but it's hard to talk about something like a class action lawsuit when everyone has a different experience based off the kind of hardware they're using and like the specific bill that they got. I would personally not like to see more class action suits.
0: Uh, in the chat room, ETH Demon is saying that uh, I'm wrong, that Unity was completely broken on PC when it was released. Um, so it was unplayable, at least according to his, his anecdotal experience. Um, you know, I think that you make a compelling argument, Christian, and to say, you know, you got to hit these guys where it hurts, and that is the the wallet— and uh, if they're going to continue to put out games that provide lackluster experiences to provide experiences that aren't what was intended when you purchase the game, man, it's a am I'm – I'm troubled by the idea of saying let's litigate our way out of it. But it does feel like this is really getting so common and it's not just day one patches. It's patches a week later, two weeks later, a month later. And it's uh, you know it's very frustrating if you're talking about um, class action lawsuits. There's we have one in the news this week. We have the fact that Sony settled with the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, uh, over again. This is as you mentioned, Christian, a an advertising issue where they talked about the Vita being able to do certain things that it could not do when it was released, and uh, in 2012 when they were advertising the the Vita they implied that customers could uh, with the, who bought the 3G version for an extra 50 bucks could engage in live multiplayer gaming through a 3G network which they could not when it was launched uh and they settled with the FTC there's users are going to get people that purchased the Vita during a specific time period are going to get money back they can get a $50 voucher voucher um are you in favor of this Christian is this something that
1: you 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 want more of <laughs> it's such a difficult question. The short answer is is yes, but it's not your specific question, the answer is yes. The reasoning is I think companies should be held accountable. And I think it I'm not pro regulation, pro lawsuit, pro, you know, let's, let's put a bunch of rules on companies, this, that or the other, and let's, you know not allow capitalism to work its way out people in the chat are like oh wallets are faster than litigation but with your wallet but if, if there's like genuine deception or a game comes out and is, and is unplayable or not the experience that you were promised quote unquote then yeah unfortunately i do think it takes a bigger stick than me getting 59.99 back from activision because i spent two hours <laughs> at best buy and on the phone with activision reps and it, I I, it, I do think it's hard to come up with that perfect analogy, right? Because if you go to a movie and you're watching Guardians of the Galaxy, and the back half of the movie doesn't play, you can go to the front of the AMC or Regal or wherever and say you get your money back. But that's not quite the same thing. If you bought a book and 20 pages weren't there, you could take it back. It, so, and what Andrea said, it is you know a leisure activity. It's not the same thing as a car, which is very hard to build, and there are recalls and lawsuits all the time for that. I mean, that is people dying when those malfunction or being injured. And I am in no way physically injured because I lost my save and call of duty. But I do think it's it's a important issue um, that I just think that we're becoming complacent with. And that's what makes me sad.
2: I don't know if complacent is a fair word to you. I, I think that just comes down to everyone's individual experience and uh I think from the other perspective that sometimes people probably on the publisher side that are in customer service have trouble with people because they're just not properly you know, either installing the game right or, you know, doing something with their system. I know that I had trouble with a game one last year when I got my new consoles because I hadn't set something up the right way, you know, and I got really mad at somebody else for something that was my fault. So, I mean, I'm saying that that's like an outside, ex- like, you know, like a one-off experience, but that's what my point was, is that everybody's experience is different, so it's hard to find a universal one-size-fits-all solution,
0: well, let me ask you, Christian, the, the same question I asked Andrea. Is this kind of statement and compensation make up for it? Does does a company like uh, Ubisoft coming out and saying, hey, we're going to give you a free thing, is that is that a make right for you?
2: For me, it is. I I think that they don't technically have to give anybody anything. You know, and I think that it was really great that they did. I mean, what did EA give fans of Battlefield? Nothing. A a free game. (laughs) You know?
0: So, Christian, you're not on
2: board.
1: It's a a very kind nod and acknowledgement. They should refund everyone's money that wants it back, regardless if they finished the game 100% or not. If you release something and it doesn't meet your standards that you said it would be at release, every consumer that bought the game should have the opportunity to return said game you can't just offer them a free other oh look we're giving you a free other game i don't want any of those other games it's it's not the same thing it's kind of we should be clear that
0: they're not they're not offering a free other game to everybody it's only the people that already paid for the thing they want to give away free (laughs) so correct which is dlc for the game
1: um I mean, I, I harp on this every week and I'm sure I'll keep harping on it. But so far, my 2014 game of the year is broken games. Um, I've really been enjoying Drive Club on the PS Plus version. Um, uh, it's, it's a mess, Jeff, and I will keep harping on this. I'm sorry, listeners, <laughs> but I, f- no. I don't want to drag this particular show down per se. But it is something that that riles me up. All right.
0: So what is your uh, your
1: story of the week then? Well, the Master Chief Collection, I think, was big, and you did uh, hint, hit on that. That's just another apology, and we've messed up, um, so we can, we can move on from there. What I thought was really interesting, getting away from all of this, uh, this, that, and the other, uh, game doesn't work, game does work, is Steam announced changes to um, their gift how you can gift games on Steam. And I I saw this story on Joystick, um, if people want to go there and attribute where I found it. And and basically what they're trying to do is Steam is trying to curb the number of people who purposefully use fraudulent payment details to buy Steam keys, and then they sell and trade them uh, as like a reseller. And then because their payment was invalid, uh, those people that then bought those games from a reseller get the game taken off their account because it wasn't quote-unquote paid for. And I think things like this are interesting. I'm curious to get your take because I feel like in almost everything, the crooks and the thieves are one step ahead of the poor honest folk who wants to buy Far Cry 4 for their brother for Christmas or so, or you know, or send them a, a game for Hanukkah or their birthday or whatever. And there's always someone trying to manipulate the system and I had heard about this problem. I'd never experienced it firsthand buying a, a Steam game via reseller, but it's certainly popular. Have either of you bought do you guys buy Steam keys via resellers or do you just go direct nah. through Steam?
0: I, I've never bought it through a reseller. I don't I don't even understand why anybody would. It feels like Steam gives you such great discounts anyway. Why not just do it through there? I understand if you missed a sale and then oh okay, this guy bought, you know, fifty of them and he's gonna resell them at a fraction of the price, I think that's probably what people are doing. I wouldn't recommend it, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. What do you, What about you, Andrea?
2: Um, I don 't you know buy a lot of games on Steam just as a consumer i don 't do a lot of gaming on uh p c but I have been gifted a Steam card before, like one of those physical cards with like the code on it, mm-hmm. uh, which I know is not exactly what you 're referring to, but I think it's an option for people who maybe aren 't as savvy with. You know the way that Steam has their sales and the way that their ecosystem works. It's for people who, it's 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 like an easy option to gift, or it's a nice thing to do if you have a group of people that you want to gift for. Um, I mean, I think that Steam is one of the smartest business platforms out there. That Valve really runs it very well, and they're really good to their community base. So. I mean, I'm on board for whatever they want to do to make their, you know, um, environment better.
0: And I think that, to that end also, it doesn't really seem like this policy shift is going to affect many normal users
1: in any kind of adverse way. Unless I'm getting that wrong, Christian. Am I getting that wrong? No, that's correct. I mean, for the normal user, this doesn't affect one way or the other. The reason I kind of wanted to bring it up is, one, I think Steam does a really good job of trying to stay on top of this kind of thing. And, you know, they just, not just, but somewhat recently relaunched their store and how, you know, you can follow people's playlists, or not playlists, recommended games. Uh, And what I think is interesting about that, to tie it back to the beginning, is Steam was such a piece of crap when it launched, right? (laughs) And uh, granted, it was a store, um, so you're not getting your quote-unquote money back. It's like if you walked into Best Buy and (laughs) and the hurricane had just gone through it. But it does show. Oh, you mean an average Ross aisle? (laughs) 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 Yes, at times, yes. Any store uh, this past weekend. Um, But now I feel like they've really, really, really gotten their act together. And I like seeing things like this where it it doesn't affect the average user, but it is something that is very pro-consumer in that there are innocent people buying games, not even through Steam, that were being negatively affected by people Uh, defrauding steam and Valve has stepped in and tried to find a way to make this better even for those other people and I just wanted to give them kudos. I think that's a really cool thing for them to have done. Cool.
0: Um, my story of the week is a uh, a board gaming story, and it's an announcement of a couple of uh, variations of a game I've talked about a bunch on this show called Love Letter. And oh, uh, at BGGCon recently, I think it was announced a little bit earlier, but it's the first time I had heard about it. Uh, it's uh, some new versions of Love Letter. So just like Flux or Munchkin, uh, these games that are basically the same base game, but they have variations based on different IP. You know, to kind of keep changing them up and making them more interesting and getting more people to buy them. Love letter is doing the same thing. And, uh, they're <laughs> they announced the love letter, Batman and love letter, the Hobbit. And, uh, those will be out in early 2015. They're also working on love letter, adventure time and love letter Archer, which I know you're excited about Christian. Cause you like the Archer. Um, so, love letters is a game I, I talked about a lot on the show, and it's it's kind of ridiculous be- when you think about those IP based on this game because it's a game about sending letters to uh, the princess to try to get her to love you. It's like, well, how does that work with Batman and The Hobbit? Uh, but it's kind of interesting the way that they've switched it up because the way Batman sends love letters is he punches villains in the face. That's a that's a that's a love letter from Batman. <laughs> is a punch to the face. And I think it's a really kind of a cool way to switch up. Uh, and make a game which is really fantastic, inexpensive, and quick to play on the tabletop. It's one that I like very much, but sometimes when you pull it out with a bunch of buddies and they're like, really, I don't want to play a game about sending love letters to somebody. It's like, well, but yeah, but the game is really solid and very fun. Well, now you can maybe play it as Batman or The Hobbit. And they also added up a few different um, gameplay mechanics that sound sound kind of fun and, and just a little bit of tweaks to make them slightly different but uh i was excited about this announcement and wanted to make it my story of the week
1: does it get you excited because you like the particular properties batman and hobbit or does it get you excited because more board games do you think that this will help them get more mass appeal or something like that
0: i think both i mean i think i think it would be fun to play this game as batman the art is is really cool on the cards and uh, the idea of using that gameplay mechanic, which is really solid and really fun, plays really quick. It's a good good filler game, really. Um, but to be able to pull that out with with guys and go, "This is, this is a cool Batman game. Let's play it." Uh, I think I think it's a plus one, and, and the game is very inexpensive. I think it's under ten dollars. I think it's like seven bucks. So uh, easy to recommend. Um, we've got more stories to talk about as well, but let me first thank uh, our sponsor. Linda. Oh, Linda. Linda is an easy, affordable way to help individuals learn. You can instantly stream thousands of courses created by experts on business, software, web development, graphic design, and more. They actually work with industry experts. It's not just amateurs on YouTube trying to teach you how to do something and don't really know how to communicate or show you the exact thing you want. They've got the best people to talk about all of the topics that you might want to learn Software experts, business experts, and they have timely training so that when a new version hits the market, you're going to get the latest, most up-to-date info. So it's not like YouTube where I'm looking at, oh, crap, I've been watching this video for five minutes and I realize it's not even about the version I own. All the courses are broadcast and produced at the highest quality, not like YouTube videos that catch as catch can and the courses are broken into bite-sized pieces, so you can learn at your own pace and learn from start to finish or just find a quick answer. You can search transcripts, there's playlists, and there's even a, certific- a certificate of course completion, which you can publish to your LinkedIn profile, which is great if you're a professional in the field. Whether you're a beginner or advanced, lynda.com has courses for all experience levels, and They have apps for iPhone, iPad, and Android so you can learn on the go. Just one low monthly price of 25 bucks gets you unlimited access to over 100,000 video tutorials. For any software you rely on, Lynda.com can help you stay current with all the software updates, learn the ins and outs of your software tools, and be more efficient and productive. And guess what? Because it's DLC, we're going to give you a DLC. Go to Lynda.com slash DLC. And you can try lynda.com free for 10 days. That's access to the complete site, 100,000 video tutorials. You'll support our show. They'll know you support our, our show. And you can browse and see if there's any courses that you might want to see. Courses makes it sound boring. This isn't boring. It's really interesting. It's good, useful information. And it's quick. You can pop in, find that bit of info you need, and pop right out. Really, really cool. Again, lynda.com, that's with a Y, -Y L-Y-N-D-A.com slash DLC. All right, so there's a few other stories I wanted to hit on, um, one of which is that speaking of broken games and getting refunds from games and class action suits and yada, yada, yada – there's at least one game or at least one game designer that thinks his game actually is going to work at launch, and he came out and said it. It's the lead designer of The Crew, which is coming out from Ubisoft, and uh, he's claiming not only the game going to work at 1080p and 30 frames per second on all platforms, but guess what? The game's going to be stable at launch. The online is going to work. He's laying his cards on the table. Boom, boom, boom. And I guess this is news now. It's news when a designer says, hey, our game's going to work. Um what do you think Andrea do you think this is uh risky or do you think this is this is uh a reassuring to people that are thinking about purchasing the crew
2: Um I it's a it's a little I mean I I don't really have an answer for you it's hard because you want to say that it's reassuring but you never want a publisher to come out and say, don't worry guys, it's going to work, we promise. But I think in Ubisoft's case, specifically after what happened with Unity, they it was kind of a smart move of them to reassure the community. I think the bigger problem they have with the crew is that They have withheld review copies from sites because they are claiming that they want the reviews to accurately reflect the worldwide online experience when all of the servers go live so everybody can be playing in that way reviewers have a really accurate representation. I understand their desires and their intentions, I think, are in the right place. But as a consumer, it's really, you're rolling the dice if the game is going to be good or not because there are no reviews out before launch. And in fact, it's going to be like Destiny where the reviews are going to be kind of rolling. And I think some people may have gotten from what happened with Destiny and weren't really happy with that game. And you're paying $60 for a product. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier, like getting refunds for you know, a product that you're not satisfied with. And it's certainly risky, but everything I've seen of the crew looks good. But then again, it all comes down to if the servers.
0: Yeah. I think it's, uh, what you're talking about is really what prompted him even saying anything at all. It's, it's, uh, the idea that, um, they're not releasing the review to the review copies to reviewers. And so it's like, well, I guess I kind of got to come out and say, it's not because we're scared. We're super confident. Uh, What do you do you
1: believe him, Christian? Is he scared? (laughs) I'd like to believe him. Believe him. I still think it's it's funny that we live in this world. I also then like assuming that the pressure he's put on other Ubisoft developers where from now on any other game that comes out from Ubisoft that has an online component and they don't come out ahead and has a stable launch. Does it going to have a stable launch are we to assume it's not going to yeah right <laughs> like uh oh, well this oh mm, and it's, it's like <laughs> <weird>, it's, it's <laughs> this weird thing where if you don't come out and and say it uh this game will have a stable it's like hey guys we got uh uncharted 4 coming out in early 2015 and it will have <clears throat> launch we're really excited about this game well the it's, other thing i wonder is crazy you know,
0: you know How I hate to be like this, but but I kind of feel like how many copies is the crew going to sell? Is it going to sell a million? Is it going to sell two million? I mean, it's a lot different having. It
2: was going to sell at least a million.
0: You think? On at launch? I mean, I think
2: probably. I would say like three million, maybe. If there, if it's as good as it's looking, because every time I've played it at events, it's been awesome.
0: No, then I hope they do have a solid launch because uh, I think that pulling off a launch of that size is hard and i was gonna i was gonna say something snarky about uh, maybe the crew won't have as hard a time pulling off a a successful launch as something like assassin's creed or halo or world of warcraft that is having you know an order of magnitude more players trying to log on at one time but maybe i'm wrong maybe there will be or drive (laughs) drive club right right
1: (laughs) it doesn't Um, take a lot of players to ruin a game yeah i guess not
0: um this this news is so depressing uh, last bit of uh, news I wanted to bring up, though, is this uh, Black Friday report. You know, we came out a few weeks ago, and we're kind of talking about all the deals and bundles and and uh, promotions, especially Microsoft was doing for Xbox One uh, to try to juice sales for the holiday, and we were making our predictions as to whether or not it was going to work or not, and early reports are, it looks like it worked pretty well, um, evidently. There is a report here on polygon.com about how, according to what is it, uh, InfoScout? Yeah, InfoScout submitted more than uh, 18, excuse me, um, 1,800 receipts over the course of Black Friday. And that data shows that the Xbox One by far was the highest selling console. 53% of console sales on Black Friday were for Xbox One uh 31% for PlayStation 4, 9% for Xbox 360 and the Wii U fourth with a meager 4%, not too not too encouraging
1: for the Wii U. Well, so I did um, we... I did I did some of my own studies mm-hmm. and uh, according to me neither the Xbox 1, the PS4 or the Wii U were purchased over this shopping weekend because I already own them all. So,
0: you're saying that the reason the Xbox One crushed is because everybody already owns PS4s? That's what you're saying.
1: Oh, no, I'm just saying that you're your making exact fun words. of this. I'm, yeah, I'm making fun of this survey, which, to be fair, according to a NeoGAF thread, they did this last year, too, similar polling, and they were very close to um, NP, NPD results. Uh, so, so it's you know, they pretty have a, accurate. They have a track record of being accurate, but I do think That's it's good. funny. Like we uh we pulled some receipts and like uh like my bro, who, my uh, my uh, my dad like knows a guy who works at Best Buy and he said that like hella hella Xboxes were being sold, bro. So like, <laughs> watch out, it's gonna be crazy this year.
0: Well, I think, you know, I think uh, almost 200,000 receipts.
1: That's pretty, pretty good sample size. And if that's an a,
2: amazing sample size, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot like, of people. The only <laughs> thing
1: I've seen that like 200,000 is like the number of waves that I surf in a day. Cause like, <laughs> you know, you get up early and you got to get out there if you want to stake your climb, bro.
0: So, what do you
2: think, I mean, Andrew? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think. I think Christian's just being a hater right now. Um, right now? I think, well, okay, true. In life, he's just a hater in life. Um, I I think this is great news for Xbox. This is exactly what they needed to do to catch up to PlayStation and hardware sales. I mean, dropping the price by $50 on all Xbox One and Xbox One bundles with a lot of retailers taking it a step further and making it $70 or even cheaper. Um I think it allows people to get in on this, you know, new console generation. And I think it's nothing but a good thing. I mean, I kind of wish I'd been able to save money, but you know, early adopters have to uh, pay full price. Um, But I think it's great.
0: Yeah, it does seem like uh, it seems like a positive, positive news story. And uh, it does seem like these bundles really were snapped up by people. And that's, uh, that's great to see.
1: So So um, mm -hmm. serious for a moment. One thing that if you are a Sony fan, that maybe should you should be concerned is that they released a statement um, before Black Friday, I believe. I forget exactly when it came out saying, you know, because they've been taking a beating on their mobile phones and televisions and have seen kind of losses of of profits and sales there. And what's been a leader for them has been consoles. And a couple of years ago, they said they're going to focus on mobile. They're going to make that their priority. And they made it a focus, and it did not do well. It actually performed even worse than it was. And now they're saying they're going to make gaming and PlayStation brand a priority, which if Sony's track record is accurate, it means it's going to get worse. <laughs> so it's mm. like anytime Sony focuses on something, they seem to over like micromanage it, and it ends up not doing as well as when it was just kind of its own you know, its own project in this mega corporation. So I don't know if they'll go too hands-on or not, but like that came out and then Xbox had a great Black Friday, it seems like. And you have to, one- I mean, this console fight is far from over. There's plenty of time for Sony to mess up and Microsoft to keep killing it.
0: Yeah, well, that is one perspective. I I, I mean, I don't think, I, I don't like to play into the war thing. I, I think both consoles are, are viable are interesting have really interesting software on them i go back and forth between the two um i don't really have a favorite at this point i mean i i think i play more ps4 than anything else but uh, i've been playing a lot of dragon age on xbox one and uh you know i go back and forth so i just my biggest worry about this entire story is the fact that the wii u is still down there in fourth place behind xbox 360 that's pretty scary um all right Enough news. Let's get to the fun stuff. Let's get to the playlist. Usually, the playlist is the part of the show where we like to check in with you guys on the phone. Our phone system not working today, so I apologize for that for everybody listening live. I really wanted to uh, to hear what you guys have been playing, but we'll do that next week. I hope. And uh, as we head into the holidays, we're going to have more of of community-based stuff going forward because the news is going to be limited and it's going to be all about celebrating what we're playing. So I'm looking forward to that. In the meantime, however, I'm very interested to hear what Andrea has been playing. What's on your playlist, Andrea? Yes. What is on your playlist?
2: Well, um, on my playlist is definitely uh, Dragon Age Inquisition.
0: Mm, me too
2: <laughs> i've been playing far cry a lot of far cry but i most certainly need to deep dive into Thetis. i'm so excited i've been i've been putting it off because i know that once i start stopping is going to be almost impossible
0: <laughs> well that's i can attest to that i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna be going on from a rant Bef- but before I do, uh, I want to hear about Far Cry 4. Are you uh, are you loving it? Far Cry 4 is the game I had to forsake in order to, uh, you know, play Dragon Age. So am I missing out? Do you love it?
2: I absolutely love it. I mean, it's a whole different kind of experience than Dragon Age, though. I mean, I have been really enjoying it because I think that they did such a great job building this world of Kirat and this beautiful environment of the Himalayas and and it's like you have the snow-capped mountains and then like kind of like lush exotic jungle and you know then you get to go on these crazy trips into Shangri-La and I just like the world and I think that you know some of the (laughs) Some of the world building that they've done with some of the NPCs and the little tidbits of the story that you find by going on some of these side quests really kind of make it a a deeper and richer experience the longer you play. And I've just been having a lot of fun. I keep finding myself wanting to go back, even though I'm not really doing a lot of the main campaign story missions. I'm just, you know, doing all these random side quests finding collectibles hunting and i just it's fun it's a really fun open world shooting experience it's just great
0: i saw on twitter that there may have been some sort of moment where you ran screaming from a tiger or a puma
2: of some kind is that a honey badger
0: honey badger (laughs) even more hilarious (laughs) care to enlighten us on that story
2: Uh, yeah so there are honey badgers in and they don't care
0: they don't give a f about you
2: they don't they are brutal too um i I figured out how to kill them a little bit easier now but the first encounter i had with one from a distance i thought it was a skunk (laughs) and then i got (laughs) got closer and i was like oh my god it's a badger (laughs) and it just kept running at me and i was trying to shoot it and i mistakenly was trying to kill it with a machine gun which just was not which was not working for me at all. Honey um, don't care about your machine gun. <laughs> and so I was like trying to run away from it, and it would not leave me alone. And um, <laughs> I I ended up like uh, rocket launching it. <laughs> <laughs> that is... like literally just like full on. Like I'm going to explode you out of existence. <laughs>
0: That is uh that is a good use of resources.
2: Hey, <laughs> <laughs> what's fun though? <laughs>
0: That's awesome. I think Far Cry, the Far Cry franchise as a whole is one of the few first person shooters, real first person shooters, that has that kind of emergent gameplay experience that really things that no one anticipated happening i mean i guess some great ai in games like halo or whatever can can engender that as well but it feels like far cry is in a league of its own when it comes to pure shooters and in creating that really bizarre uh you know emergent gameplay open world craziness
2: yeah i think that we haven't really seen um a lot of shooters that put a lot of emphasis on story because most of it's on, you know, the mechanics of shooting. And I know that there's, you know, that you can play multiplayer in Far Cry. I just haven't ever really, you know, gone down that path. But I like that I can have this really amazing experience where I actually care. I mean, and Far Cry has kind of struggled, you know, game to game in really tying the threads of the franchise together and really creating a... Um, an arc between them. And I think what, what I've really liked about Far Cry 4 in particular is that I think that this protagonist is, he's a little bit more likable and he feels like he's got a little bit more of a richer, deeper backstory than some of the previous protagonists have. And um, that's, to me, what is kind of driving you know me through the game. And Peg and Min as a villain is just so amazing. I'm just... I'm really sad, and I think I've seen a lot of other people mention this, that he's not a bigger part of the game. I would like to see more of him, because he's just so deliciously evil. <laughs>
0: uh, did did you, you play a lot of uh, Far Cry 3? Uh, you know, the big criticism is that this game is no, very No, I didn't
2: play a lot of it. Hmm. Yes, I mean, uh, from, from what I've seen in my experience, like, mechanically, like, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, somebody put out a joke about Ubisoft games in general, how a lot of them have a lot of the same tenets. When you're looking at Watch Dogs, Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, yeah, you know, they have a lot of the same um, similarities, gameplay-wise. I don't think that that's a bad thing, as long as it's done well and executed well, and it's still fun. Because at the end of the day, I mean, fun is needs to be the underlying factor in any successful game. And I think sometimes people get too focused on the fact that they're not necessarily doing something completely innovative or out of the box or breaking the mold i don't think that that every game needs to do that as long as they execute really well on the things that they know how to do
1: hmm. uh, what about yeah, uh was- go ahead christian i was gonna say more of the same can often be great right if it's new location new bases that you're trying to infiltrate and take over and, and honey badgers and instead of you know, different animals, and, and that that can be awesome. I think the thing that's interesting about Far Cry, and perhaps why fans of the series are you know were hit a little bit, is that Far Cry to Far Cry Two to Far Cry Three were such different games that still had this a, a, a little bit of a common thread in terms of. Open world, how you go into the game, things that you can do, creating your own chaos, and then Far Cry Four coming out and coming out quickly after Far Cry Three. I think some hardcore fans were kind of just um, upset that they didn't get some other world shift tilt to the to the franchise that they've they've come to love. But that said, in my opinion, Far Cry Three is my favorite Far Cry. So that there's a better Far Cry Three. That's awesome.
0: What about, uh, I see here, Andrea, that you're also playing Geometry Wars 3. I'm so excited to play that. I haven't had a chance yet. Is it, um, is it flipping the script, or is it just more Geometry Wars?
2: Um, I don't know if flipping the script is a fair assessment of what they're doing. They're definitely adding things. Obviously, this 3D idea that the planes are different shapes and that you're moving around in space much differently than you have in previous Geometry Wars. Is exciting and fun. But I mean, Geometry Wars is just really simple, addictive, fun gameplay. It's got that thing where you keep playing levels over and over and over again, trying to beat your friends on the leaderboards. You're like, oh, I, if I just play one more time, I'm going to get a few more points, you know, just one more time. I played the first level probably 15 times before I decided to move on to the second level. This is like, that's what's so awesome about Geometry War brought back that uh, gameplay in a really big way and now they've added ways to upgrade you know your little ship and they have boss battles now I don't know if there's people out there that think that it's super gimmicky what they're doing but I don't care I think it's fun I haven't been having a blast with it I think is great again I don't think that they need to reinvent the wheel to have a successful gameplay experience
0: yeah I'm you know any list of best Last gen games, I think, has to have Geometry Wars on it. it for me, it it almost defined the 360 generation. It, it really was the first game that I loved on that console. And, man, I'm very excited to revisit that world. We've come a long way since then, but it'll be interesting to see it. Do you think it's worth 15 bucks or is that a little more than it should be?
2: Oh, no, I think it's absolutely worth 15 bucks. Okay. Like, I mean, that's to me, like there's, there's games that you pay, you know, a lot more for that are a lot less experience. You know, like I think that that's a right on price point that it's, you know, a gameplay experience that's not, you know, you know, super huge, like a big AAA title, but any cheaper. And I think that it's doing the game a disservice because you probably wouldn't have had as many cool options in the game. Uh, it would have probably been, you know, just a few levels and not, you know, as deep of a gameplay experience as it is. I think yeah. it's, I think that's right on point.
0: We got lots more to talk about on our playlist. I'm going to be talking a lot about uh, Dragon Age. Christian's got some Smash Brothers and other Wii U goodness. But first, I want to tell you about something that you might want to consider having on your playlist. It's our sponsor, World of Tanks. World of Tanks is an MMO for your PC where you can battle other players with massive, high-powered, authentic tanks in intense, strategic, armored warfare. This is tank-on-tank, battling. Blast some tanks. Getting some tanks. Ride around tanks. We had Thanksgiving last weekend. You're going to be tanking me if you try this. It's Awesome. The game has a variety of maps, including some that are based on famous battlegrounds of World War II. You can customize over 300 different tanks in the game. I like saying tanks. And you can use uh, strategy. You can use the tanks strategically to take down enemy players by customizing and you know tricking out your tank. Uh, And the tanks are based on real tanks made from seven different nations across the world and include light tanks, medium tanks, heavy tanks, tank destroyers, and self-propelled guns. I don't even know what a self-propelled gun is, but it sounds amazing. I'm imagining a person riding a gun. That's awesome. The battles are brief. They take between 5 and 15 minutes to play. And there are different types of battles you can choose from so the gameplay never gets repetitive. You can use your in-game garage to manage your tanks, chat with other players, buy new equipment, train your crew, and much more. There's a new stronghold game mode for clans where you can build a clan. You can purchase land to build and improve your stronghold and get increased battle rewards for members of your clan to benefit from. And The best thing about World Tanks, beside the tanks, is that it's free to play. It is absolutely free. You can download it right now on your PC and give it a go. This is a massively successful game. Tons of people are digging it. And if you go to www.playtanks.us, that's playtanks.us, you can download the game for free, and we're going to hook you up with some in-game goodies. If you use the offer code DLC, which must be in all caps, you'll get... Premium time, a premium tank, and 500 gold. Why not? Why not give it a shot? Use that promo code DLC. It really helps us out. You can check out a free game, and we'll give you in-game stuff. A premium tank, premium time, and 500 gold. That's pretty good. Playtanks.us, promo code DLC, all caps. All right, Christian. Christian your uh you had your fam time you had your couch co- op time nothing better than couch co- op on the wii u is that right
1: i mean there there might be but we had a lot of fun so um my brothers were in town and and then Visiting from the UK. Listeners might remember he was on an episode of uh, We Can Confirm Philippe Boscher is, is, is touring the United States as those Europeans go on tours. And um, he came over and we had couch co op of Smash for Wii U and Mario Kart 8. And it was done, I think, the way Nintendo wants you to do it in that it was one <laughs> Wii U gamepad. One pro controller, one nunchuck with a Wii pro controller, one uh Wiimote. I mean, I'm sorry, one Wiimote with a Wii pro controller, one Wiimote and nunchuck. And it was like 15 different controller combinations, it seemed like. And I mean, it's it's fun, couch co op to this day, if you're able to do it, remains fun. It's a lot of work to get out all those controllers and get. Everybody seated and, and having fun, or I mean seated in and in, into a game and what game are we gonna play and this, that, and the other, but smash with everybody on this on the same not only in the same room, we were on the same couch. Like there was smash on the screen and there was smash each other's arms. Like <laughs> it was that we were that Nintendo commercial. Except none of us had the big um grin on our face because all of us were losing except for Philippe <laughs> uh, most games. and But it, it's just you find yourself being that that little kid or that dumb dad in the commercials where you're leaning up. I'm leaning up against my brother for no real reason <laughs> as I go into a turn in Mario Kart or he hits me out of the ring, but I somehow get back, and you get those, those moments of joy. I think Smash is a better couch co-op game because I have forgotten how small of a screen split screen makes it I, hmm. I think we're spoiled from online gaming and so you need a bigger television people... christian <laughs> yeah my tv is pretty big <laughs> doesn't matter <laughs> it so needs spoiled. to be bigger <laughs> yeah that spoils me too right no I, no, I I totally agree. We are spoiled. Online gaming with our huge, relatively cheap flat screens has spoiled all of us. And so Mario Kart, I was like, oh, wait, my view is, is smaller. I don't have 65 inches of, view- <laughs> of viewing. But that's what makes Smash so fun, right, is that there is no split screen. It's chaotic. You're all in this world together. Um, and I know Nintendo keeps saying to do it. But, yeah, do it. It's great if you're able to get it together. Um, it's so much fun to play, and, and as Jeff, you say, it should be easy to get together a board game night if you, you know, find like-minded people. It should be just as easy to get couch co-op together. So I'm going to try one of my New Year's resolutions. I'm going to try to make a point to do more of it, whether it's on the Wii U or otherwise. But I mean, is is my sales pitch? Does it? get either of you excited to try to do this. We all have friends over for other parties or dinners or whatever. I mean, why not more couch co op
0: Sell me on sell me on Smash Brothers as a game for people. Like I as much as I want to love that franchise, I've never loved it. And I find it, you know, I'm I'm a Street Fighter slash Mortal Kombat slash Soul Calibur fighting type dude. I've never been able to click into the chaos that is Smash Brothers, it feels too too much, too crazy, too weird, too mashy. Tell me why
1: I'm wrong. Well, I need to start by potentially calling you out. When is the last Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, or Soul Calibur that you've played? All of the last versions of them. Okay, you did. so you played a version of Street Fighter 4, and you spent some oh, time yeah. on the last... Okay, okay, good. I, I thought maybe you were saying back in the day, so I was no. like, oh, you've grown out of fighting games. No, um, no, no. Play against someone good, and you'll see that Smash isn't chaotic and button mashy. I mean, you will continuous, constantly lose to better players. If you have a bunch of novices, then it's smashy, button mashy. But I think that's fun. That's a testament to the game that people that don't know can get in and play and still have fun, and it's exciting, and bright lights are flashing. But if you play against a skilled player, and they're playing with one of their mains, Nine times out of ten, if not more, you will get destroyed. I mean, their skill. Well, that to does smash. sound fun. <clears throat> well, no, but you're saying sell you on the game. It's just too button mashy. It's not. You just no. need to spend the time to learn like who's your character
0: no i i don't mean i don't mean it's too button mashy i pr- probably shouldn't have thrown that into the mix of things that turn me off about it what, what i'm more concerned about it, it it feels chaotic and not not because it's button mashy but because there's so much stuff going on i i'm trying to attack one guy and two other dudes come up behind me Explain to me what's going on in your head when you're playing it. Are you thinking about your next move? Are you thinking about attacking a specific character? Are you just rushing into the melee maelstrom of of chaos and trying to get what you can get? What is the gameplay experience in your
1: mind? Got it. So I am not an elite Smash player, but I think I... You know, I can tell you my strategies. I think I know more about how to be an elite player than I can actually execute. It's to some extent multitasking, right? So you're always looking for, if you're playing default rule set and you have power-ups or whatever's coming in, you're always looking for those items like a hammer that can come in and be a game changer if you pick it up. Or... Somehow that someone the, the the shift or someone becomes overpowered for a little bit about a little bit, um, a little amount of time. Sorry. And so if you're able to get one of those without jeopardizing your footing to quote Batman Begins, then go for it. But it, otherwise, if someone else is there, you need to know not to go in and go after that super, because if you go in for that power up, you're giving up what you were otherwise doing, and you're going to be vulnerable. Um, I think that's what makes Smash such a compelling game, is when, you know, a a Super Smash power-up comes in, or a hammer comes in, or a star comes in, or something that, in my opinion, can really change the the power distribution of, of players in the game, You feel compelled to run to it, much like rockets did in the original Halo before people learned the countdown timer or just like counting down and then rushing for it. But it creates that choke point in an otherwise open map that gets people giving up what they were otherwise doing to try to get this thing because if you get it, oh man, it's on. Otherwise, what you're doing is you're multitasking and balancing and keeping people away from you that you're not going to go after while then trying to prioritize someone that you think is vulnerable. Whether they're close to a ledge, they have a really high percentage, hit percentage, or otherwise, based on the stage, you think you're able to go for a ring out. Sometimes, again, not an elite player, my personal opinion, if you can hit someone out of the ring. They'll take damage when they're far away. But even if you're not going to smash them out, by getting them off the map for that little bit of time, it allows you to refocus on the other fighters in the stage. So I will often go for a smash, even if I don't think I'm going to, quote unquote, kill them, but because then it allows me to catch my breath and, and, and reevaluate what's going on. But I like the chaos. I like games like Batman and Mordor too, where you're being attacked from all sides and not just, I'm gonna go get this guy, go get this guy, go get this guy. It's kind of like juggling, and I think that that is what makes it fun. I'd love to hear from actual elite players <laughs> that tell me how wrong I am. But I mean, I, Andrew, do you, do you play Smash? Do, I mean, is this, do these games click with you at all?
0: I think that's a no. <clears throat> I think that's a no. Um
1: did that make sense though Jeff? Yeah, did, did it totally that...
0: makes sense and I and I like that. I like hearing people that love these types of games explain to me why they love them. And I want I want to get inside that experience and I I just have a hard time uh feeling like, you know, balancing the uh, the desire to get in there and mess some stuff up. And also feel like I'm just overwhelmed because I can't even tell what's going on. And and I think, you know, like any fighting game, it probably comes down to knowing the, the move set very, very well, yes. knowing the character I'm playing very, very well, and knowing that when I do this specific thing, it's good in this situation and, and, and you know, whatnot. But I just th- – from a macro perspective is what I appreciated in hearing you talk about sort of how you approach any kind of – Round in that game, it's, it's, it's yeah. it, I don't even. That's where I kind of. I don't even know what I should be doing. You know,
1: it, it's deceptively simple because all of the characters have "quote unquote" the same moves. I.e., you're not doing a half circle for one guy or or a, a dragon punch for another guy or a hold, and it's you know up and b, down and b, forward and b. It's it's all right. the same to do their supers, but the way that their particular super is different and how vulnerable at least leaves you if you miss on it is also like Mario if you do his up super you do you know like an uppercut kind of like a you're breaking a, a coin box or whatever but then after you do that move you just fall back down to the map not able to do another move until you land on ground again. So you might even hit a character, but then if there are two, or heaven forbid you're playing eight player <laughs> mode, that is just chaos. Then as you're falling down, you're super vulnerable. So there's always a risk reward. And I think because the characters all have the same commands for their moves, you're, you're lulled into thinking that you can play any character and granted elite players probably can, but you, know, you pick Samus and her down super is different or Captain Falcon, Okay, and you start playing as, and all of a sudden, lies that his supers—you're going to ring yourself out a lot because he's flying across the the maps. And it's taking—it's like when you talked about racing games. You know, you have fun, but how do you make that next progression into understanding the game? And unfortunately, it's playing it with one character and going into the things that aren't quote unquote sexy or exciting. And it's t- spending the time in a tutorial or going through some of the challenges that will walk you through some of the various modes of the game. And and that is where, and I talked about this, I think, last week, where Nintendo games maybe aren't the best because they don't quite show you where to go mm-hmm. and show you how to learn or main a character. Or Mortal Kombat did a good job with their story mode where you played every character and had to do certain moves. And Street Fighter has a very clearly labeled tutorial mode. And, you know, the Marvel versus Capcom games, you would unlock other characters by going through there. And Smash, you unlock stuff by doing the different modes. But in my opinion, it's not clear where to go and how to navigate you know, the, the depth of different game modes. But you own it now, correct? You I own do. Smash? I own
0: it. I'm ready to rock. Okay, we'll I'm ready to learn. We'll I want to get on. On we'll Couch Co op. Yeah,
1: dude. Um, you
0: know what? I also own Dragon Age Inquisition and uh it's owning me right back it's uh i'm i'm phew, I think I'm probably about forty hours in it's a little deceptive because uh if I go and watch television and just hop out of dragon age, it just it still ticks up my save game still ticks up hours so my save game says I'm like ninety hours into it, but I know I haven't played it for ninety hours, but I have played it a heck of a lot, and I'm a massive dragon age fan. I completed both of the first two games. And while they are undoubtedly very flawed games, I also love the franchise a lot. And I think they what they do well, they do better than any other game out there. And that is creating juicy decisions, creating really interesting, really interesting role-playing decisions, and creating an interesting world and having cool role-playing trappings. But what they've never really done particularly well is – exploration, which is a big part of what I love about role playing games, and combat. The combat's always been it's fun, it's fine. And I think Inquisition fixes both of those. The first one it fixes in a in a huge way. I mean, my biggest complaint about Dragon Age 2 was how all the levels are very linear and you, you feel like you go to these, you know, very important places and you You know, you you go to this big open field or something, and it's just a very, you know, circular path that has a few little dead-end spindly bits off the side, and you can explore every bit of it. It's got a few boxes to smash to find things in it, but you're not really exploring. You're going to these cool places, but they all feel really small. They feel really confined, and the level design isn't particularly inspired. Well, Inquisition – they got that note big time. I mean, you know, Inquisition has learned, I think, a lot. It, you definitely see a lot of influence from Skyrim, from the Elder Scrolls games in Dragon Age. And they went open world, but they went open world in a massive way. The game is enormous. It is gigantic. It is. There's so much to do, so much to explore, and they do it so well because all the exploration has rewards. They did such a fantastic job of building in all these reward systems, having everything you do really give you tangible benefits to progression. So I want to be collecting herbs. I want to be mining ore because there's so many different ways to use those things to, to improve my status in the world, to, you know, build a bigger castle, to make better potions, to, uh, fill these requisition orders, which give me influence, which is one of the, one of the stats in the game that you want to build up. You can level up and it'll give you cool perks. There's just so many ways to be progressing all the time and everything you do is worthwhile that I find myself sinking so many hours into this game and not progressing the main story that much. In fact, I would say that my biggest recommendation to anybody playing Dragon Age, and this is anathema to... Me as a gamer who is a very much a completionist and I have a hard time going to the new area before I finished everything in the old area, which was very Dragon Age. In the previous two Dragon Age games, you could, you just finish everything here and then you go to there. Not anymore. My biggest recommendation is the first place you go to is the hinterlands and the hinterlands is enormous and there's dozens and dozens and dozens of quests to do there and you're going to get bogged down in all these new quests that you keep discovering and all these new places that you keep discovering that are cool that are fun that you want to be a part of leave the hinterlands take it from me a guy who always (laughs) wants to complete everything leave the hinterlands it's fun to spend a few hours there i spent
1: here's a hint
0: (laughs) leave leave the the hinterlands it's there's so much to do there you can go back later i promise you the game is going to get way cooler than that you'll want to come back to the hinterlands but you're you're postponing some of the coolest stuff in this game by sticking around and trying to finish everything up there and you're not going to miss everything if you leave early i promise um you know, about 30 hours into this game, there's a massive shift, and it's it's one of the coolest moments that you can have in a game as far as I'm concerned. When a game that you've put that amount of time into and you go, oh, I'm just getting started. Oh, something just happened that changes everything. I feel like it's a fresh start. It's a new – there's a whole new set of parameters and now, and this is really exciting. That That is such a special moment in gaming when they can figure out a way to do that. Um there's there's another thing I want to talk about. That's that's. Can, what? can
1: I ask a question? Sure. And I, I don't want this to be spoilery, but I remember, or I perhaps remember incorrectly, but around the Destiny talk, you know, they were saying the game changes after level twenty, and it's a whole new game. And people online and you know around were bemoaning like, "Oh, that's ridiculous! I have to play your game for so long, so long before it becomes quote unquote what the game's meant to be." Is this something that Dragon Age does also? And, no. I mean, did you think that was a problem of Destiny or is this a different
0: thing? Different thing, completely. I mean Destiny is talking about, okay. is, is talking about sort of the MMO philosophy of endgame is its own new experience, right? Get to end game and then the game starts. And MMOs do that because they need you to they need to to sort of create new challenges that aren't about leveling up. This is not what Dragon Age is doing. You're still leveling up after this moment, but it's a big story moment, it's a big decision moment, and then uh, you're given, you know, you, you're progressed to a new new area, and it's 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 super cool, and it's not at all the same situation. Um, cool. I do want to talk about something very specific to the story that is a spoiler. Um, I'm going to be very vague about it, but if you don't want to get spoiled for anything, I would say skip forward like two minutes in this recording. But I do want to mention this because it's. It's it's a really big deal, I think. Um, and it's not – I'm going I'm to talk about it in a way that really won't spoil too much. And in fact, I feel like Bioware dropped the ball here. And so it could have been a really cool spoiler, but it's really not a cool spoiler because of how they dropped the ball. So here's what I'm going to say, OK? Uh, there is a – so I played these first two Dragon Age games, and I put 60 to 70 hours in each of them, Right. And there's a moment in Dragon Age Inquisition where – spoiler, you're forewarned – your character from the second game meets you. You're not playing as that same guy. You're playing as a different guy. But you meet that character. And it could have been the coolest moment. It could have been a would-you-kindly Bioshock moment. It could have been that epic. If – I could have actually brought my save game from my Xbox 360 over to my Xbox one instead of this dragon keep nonsense that I didn't even bother with. I I respect the fact that they did the dragon keep thing, but if I – this guy that I had spent 70 hours of my life with, if all of a sudden he strolls into my game and I meet him and he's an NPC and now it's like this – one player character that I played as and another player character that I played as are talking to each other. And they are it's not a character that has existed in this universe because they made him. It's a character that I created. I created how he looked, what he's wearing, his skill set, how he fights. That could have been one of the most important, cool, awesome feelings in a craft-your-own, role-playing-game type adventure ever.
2: And- but you can't really blame them, right? I mean, Because you could have done dr- – dragon age keep and you at moment but you chose not to
0: well but dragon age keep is to create the story situations it's not to make the guy look like what he looked like to me
2: okay that's fair
0: he if you do if you do i spent a lot of time in the character creator in all these games right if that guy had strolled in and looked like the guy that i made wearing the armor that i finished the game in That would have been amazing. And there's nothing like that in gaming. There's nothing like that. Where, yeah, yes, there are important NPC characters or even player characters that have a specific look. You know, if, uh, you know, Nathan Drake walks into a scene, you have a history with him, right? But they decided how that guy looks and what he does and his skill set. But in these games, I did. And it could have been better than any other moment. It could have been the coolest feeling, and instead it isn't. And that's such a – it's such a missed opportunity. And I feel like they could have found a way for me to transfer my exact save game information into this game. It's a bummer. Um, <laughs> I like in the chat room, uh, Pastor M. Titus says, moral of the story, don't spend a, so much time in the character creator. Um <laughs> But okay, so back to non-spoilers. Everybody can unmute. Uh, You you know, we're back to non-spoilers. I won't spoil anything else. I just had to say that Um, the game is fantastic. The combat system is better than it's ever been. Although I will say it's less. You you need the strategic elements less than you have ever needed them. Uh, but that's I think also a testament to how good the hack and slash has become because the hack and slash is super fun and it feels weighty for the first time and the – everything feels like a really solid action combat system. So I'm not finding myself pausing and assigning commands like I used to in the other two games uh, because I don't need to and it's more fun to play this game like a hack and slash game, which has never been the
1: case who with loves, Dragon Age. Who loves this game more, you or Andrea? Andrea?
2: Definitely Jeff, because I haven't, I haven't put enough in, and I've never finished a Dragon Age game. I'm a diehard Bioware Mass Effect fan, but um, nothing about the game so far have really hooked me, but the time that I've played so far with Inquisition is leading me to believe that this could be the one.
1: What do you think the reason is that keeps you... Because I remember, I mean, you you are all about those Mass Effect games. What, are you just not as much of a dragon and sword person, or do you think there's something otherwise different about Dragon Age that keeps you from getting as invested?
2: I think there was um, issues with the combat that I had previously that I was just getting kind of frustrated with, you know, learning the combat and out the gate, if, you know, the core mechanics are something that aren't immediately fun. It's hard to want to keep investing hour after hour after hour in the game. I also didn't really latch on to the lore and the story of what's happening in with, and, uh, you know, with the Templars and the Mages and everything and the Chantry, but I think it's really just that I haven't given it enough time, but that's the thing, right? And that's one of the criticisms that a lot of RPGs get is that people say, oh, well, once you're 10 hours in, it gets really good. But it's like, wow, that's such an investment of time to make, you know, to really get to the meat of the game. But that's the way that these massive RPG experiences are, no matter what the franchise is. And I think now that, you know, they've really taken the best parts of each of the games that they've had so far and are kind of putting them all together and then ex- making it even that much bigger and better and more expansive in this open world and putting this emphasis on exploration. That's what makes it more exciting to me as a player.
1: Jeff, what hopes, what about Dragon Age? I mean, you too largely was panned. And I remember you put hours into that. What about these games hook you? I mean, did it take ten hours or from first step? Because you said you're not playing WoW with friends. Yeah. Because Dragon Age has its talons into you. I mean, for, so like like I did with Smash. For people that maybe aren't interested or are kind of like Andrea, like I, I like it, but they don't. I don't love it. Is it just this game is quote unquote for you, or is this game somehow? different and really pulled you in
0: you know i i what i love about the dragon age games as i said is they're even including mass effect and maybe especially mass effect uh there aren't role playing games that give you juicy gray decisions like Dragon Age. One of my biggest criticisms with Mass Effect is that all the decisions in that game are good guy or bad guy. They're all, uh, you know, light side, dark side type of decisions. And if you decided at the beginning that you want to play light side, all your decisions are kind of made in one decision. You don't ever, you're not ever struggling with what to do because, oh, I'm a good guy, so I'm going to pick the good guy decision. Or at least that's how I play. With Dragon Age, and the series has been like this from the very first, the, the storytelling is different it it really creates a situation where it's like oh what would i do or what do i want to do in this situation how do i want to approach this each side is equally compelling and there isn't a a, a clear good choice bad choice evil you know b- benevolent kind of situation and i love that about these games and so i put up with a lot of uh their eccentricities <laughs> you know for lack of a better term the the, the sort of The things that weren't as good as other role-playing games like the combat system and some of the other stuff, I think Inquisition doesn't put its best foot forward as far as the little tutorial mission. The first, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour of the game is probably the worst part of it, which is a bummer. Um, But after you get to sort of that late title card Everything gets good once you get to the hinterlands, I think the game is great and it only gets better from there. I, what they've they've learned a lot of lessons from Assassin's Creed actually and it's it's neat to me how much of Dragon Age Two is really a setup for this game. It really Dragon Age two was the setup for Dragon Age three Dragon Age three is the war that they were trying to prevent in Dragon Age 2. And you really are waging war in this game. It's really cool. They've added all these cool systems. They have this war table that you go to and you can assign different resources Around the map to to wage war or to do um, subtle like spy missions to try to find out information and get power and you're you're de- you're you're developing your power and your influence across the map and for a large part of the game I was like why am I getting all this power and then thirty hours in something <laughs> changed and I went oh okay now I get it but I don't think I don't think you have to play ten hours to like this game if you don't like it within the first five or six I think. You probably won't like it, but but if you like open-world, discovery-based, beautiful, um, deep role-playing games with juicy decisions, I think this is the – I want to say it's the best of the Dragon Age games so far. The story might not be as great as 2 or 1 as far as it, – it is very complex and it does draw a lot of inform- – it assumes you know a lot of information from the first two games and it can be a lot of – you know nonsense words that sound like gibberish but there really is a good story there and there's a and all the side quests have really interesting stuff these are just really wonderful worlds to get immersed in it's fun to talk to all your party members to you know decide what kind of party you want to have together and to just explore because for the first time in a dragon age game exploration
1: is awesome so andrew did that get you or do you just want to go back to tales from borderlands (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, I'm in. I'm all the way ready to um, lose myself in Dragon Age Inquisition. If you guys want to talk about Tales of the Borderlands, we can. Yeah, go for it. I me. Mean, <laughs> I don't know if you want to bring. I don't know if you want to bring the conversation down.
0: Oh, you don't like it? Oh,
2: I'm on the fence. I really wanted to love it. I really did, because um, I'm a giant. Border- borderlands fan i gearbox does some really great stuff and the writing and the whimsy in borderlands makes it you know really unique in in my mind but i just think that telltale is is you know not raising their own bar high enough i think that they're not doing enough to elevate their gameplay experience and that bums me out in what way So, okay, so the game looks great. The art style looks awesome. And for once, I finally played a Telltale game that didn't have bugs in it. (laughs) It wasn't glitchy, glitchy, which is something that they really need to work on. Um, But I just did not feel like it was fun. I I feel like a lot of times in the new Telltale and like The Walking Dead Season 2 and The Wolf Among Us are completely in this group that they're – are such long stretches of storytelling that I actually put the controller down because I'm getting bored. And I know that it's a point-and-click adventure game, but I feel like they aren't doing enough for the adventure part of the game to really draw me in and make this an excellent game. It's a perfectly good game. You know, there's some really nice storytelling. There's some funny moments. There's not a lot of laugh-out-loud funny moments like I've had in Borderlands. But there's just not enough action. There's no puzzles. There's nothing that makes me really excited about this game. And that bums me out because I really want it to be really awesome. Because I, I think that Telltale is succeeding at, you know, doing some really cool things narratively with presenting choices. But in this particular game, the choices that they offer you are just not that exciting. I remember in their first, one of their panels that they did, I think it was at... Um, South by Southwest last year or earlier this year, I should say, um, where they're talking about, oh, the, it's going to be hard for you to choose, you know, which uh, answer you think is better, uh, you know, which person's side of the story you want. And I just like neither of these characters have really drawn me in yet. And I know it's the first episode, so I'm trying to, you know, give it the benefit of the doubt that they're going to do some more building over the next couple of episodes. But I don't know. I just I want it to be better. I want it to be more exciting. I want them to push the envelope more. And I think that they're just kind of resting on their laurels.
1: That's a bummer. Are you going to play it, Christian? No, I, I, I'm taking a break on all of these games. Walking Dead season two bummed me out so much that while I hear... You know, this is different. Obviously, it's different intellectual property and Game of Thrones is coming out. And I love those books and, and the HBO show is fantastic as well. I am, I'm just taking a, a full break on these games for a while because I don't know if it's me and I'm burnt out or if season two was just far worse than season one. Um, but there's too much else to play right now that I will I will wait. They will be on Steam sale um, for years to come. So I'll probably pick it up when the season is complete. Did you ever finish or play Walking Dead season two, Jeff? No, I didn't.
2: Mm. I did, I played the whole season
1: Are you going to play either of these, Jeff? Borderlands or Game of Thrones? Uh,
0: You know, I probably will play the Game of Thrones Um, I've never been super invested in the Borderlands universe But I I definitely want to try the Game of Thrones games And I I do want to play Season 2 Although you kept saying how it really didn't live up to Season 1 So it didn't Really inspire me to 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 revisit, but um,
2: oh, I disagree. I disagree about season two. I thought that they did a fantastic job building Clementine as a character, and if you enjoyed season one, you should absolutely try season two. Okay, don't listen to Christian.
0: I try not to, but he's here every week.
2: I know, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: yeah. Okay. Well, I guess tales. Of hey, board- if you're listening, if you're listening to this show, if you played season one and you Liked season two as much Or more than season one Tweet at Andrea and I and let us know <laughs> If you liked it less Than season one let us know And if you liked it substantially less than season one um, We should hug each other Because we feel each other's pain I have like I have about an hour And a half more of uh, Dragon Age Inquisition
0: rants to, to go on But I'm going to save that for next week Because it is in fact now Tabletop time Tabletop time Right now. Right now. Before we get to tabletop time, we do have to thank our sponsor, Backblaze. Backblaze is digital online backup in a life that is getting more digital. You have to protect yourself with Backblaze. Backblaze is unlimited online backup for your Mac or your PC, Computer crashes happen. Stolen hard drives happen. Natural disasters happen. Forgotten files happen. Yes, you back up. If, even if you are one of the very few people that actually backs up and remembers to back up, chances are you're not backing up to anything off-site. But off-site backup is very important because something can happen to your house. And just because you have a, an external hard drive that has a backup of your files, you could lose everything. But Backblaze makes it easy. It backs up all the data on your computer and makes it accessible anywhere, online and on mobile. Your movies, your music, your photos, your videos, Word documents, PowerPoints, all user data. Backblaze takes care of it, makes sure you won't lose anything. You get over 100 petabytes of data. Backblaze uses over 100 petabytes. You know how much a petabyte is? That's 1,000 terabytes. Whoa. And they have Android and iPhone apps that make it easy to get your files on the go. No add ons, gimmicks, or additional charges. You just get your free trial at our URL, which is backblaze.com slash DLC. That's B A C K B L A Z E dot com slash DLC. They'll give you a $5 a month per computer for online backup and it backs up fast. Risk-free, no credit card required, fully featured, two-week trial. We'll hook you up. You can check it out and see how easy it is. You can take your mind off of worrying about losing all your photos or whatever. Go to backblaze.com slash DLC. We thank Backblaze for supporting the show and hope you support them in return. Stop the presses, ladies and gentlemen. Unprecedented. Well, not unprecedented. That's not true. Uh, Christian Spicer – played a board game with me this week guys and or it wasn't this week actually it was last week but the truth is it's a major gigantic moment i was very excited about it and this is this is a big game this is a game we've been talking about for a while now it's the XCOM board game that is not out yet Uh, we were lucky enough to be able to play a uh, early copy it's it's been available at some of the big conventions this summer but it hasn't actually hit Sales But this is that game we've been talking about for a long time because it's an integration of tabletop cardboard and plastic with an app. So they, there's a built-in app that will teach you how to play the game and you actually use throughout the game. It randomizes certain elements, and it steps you through the process of playing it. So it steps through all the different phases that you're playing uh, you know around the table, and it, you, it's integrated completely 100 percent into the game. So Christian, tell me about what you thought of XCOM, the board game. Now, I should say right away, this is not ideal, the ideal situation, because we all went into it not knowing how to play it. We didn't have anybody to teach us how to play it. We had to try to learn how to play it uh, through the app, which I guess is not finalized yet. But uh, it was a little bit of a rough situation. But Christian, what, what was your take
1: yeah, so there were three of us. The game, it says, can be played single player. Ooh, I would not recommend it. And up to four, I think it probably is at its best when it's four. So it was you, Zav, and I. And, um, Man, once we figured it out, the game was a lot of fun. As you mentioned, or I think hinted at, the app hopefully is not finalized because this game relies so much on an app. And to have it not utilize all the cool things that an app can, like a video tutorial or zooming in on the part of the card you're supposed to look at, um, is is a shame because essentially it's it's a timer because the game is is time-based for part of it and then a rule book, but it's not even an elegant rule book. I think you and I both agree we'd much rather have had a hard copy rule book that we could just dig into instead of relying on this app. Um, So it's unfortunate. The app leaves a lot to be desired. It could be incredible. Instead, it's, as we played it, frustrating. The game itself has some really cool, kind of like what I was talking about in Smash, where I appreciate test-your-luck moments. Um, The game relies on dice rolls, and there's always a basically <laughs> uh test your luck die i don't know what's the term for what that other dice is just yeah
0: there's this push your luck mechanic where you're trying to hit a certain number on and you get the, the amount of dice you can roll is based on how many resources you've applied to a certain task so you're trying to get successes on these dice which are i think what two two and like a one out of three chance um on the dice so You can keep rolling the dice as many times as you want, but every time you do, the chance of you failing altogether gets higher, and you're rolling this red fail die at the same time you're rolling your (laughs) your win die. But the number that comes up on the fail die, every time you you choose to re-roll, the number that makes it a fail goes up and up and up, so you have a greater chance of failing. So it's a wonderful little push-your-luck mechanic that I, I liked as well, too.
1: And that that mechanic really, I think, makes the game fun because you think you're successful, and, and depending if you roll them all, you can you know obviously roll them all and all your die in, in one hand and and see it then. But you're like, yeah, I got oh son of a gun, and and you really do get depressed or luck. And we got into some really um, interesting situations where we had some awesome wins and some really sad and laugh-inducing fails because we were so, <laughs> so close to pulling off something fantastic. I remember, Jeff, you had, to, you were rolling first the um, succeed die and then the press your luck die and you got like, all successes and, like, I think we literally high-fived and then you were only at the lowest level of the press your luck die and you rolled, like, it's impossible to get and we did it and we failed and it was just, like, this moment that makes board game or couch co-op so fun because we were all in that moment together and we saw the hurt in each other's eyes. Yeah. So I would say the game is fun and worth playing. I hope the app gets better. Um, And and if like you said, board games, it is helpful to have someone walk you through the game, and this game isn't out just yet, um, so there won't be that. Um, It's not... It's like XCOM, the board game, in the sense that you're protecting the world from an alien invasion, but don't think that you're taking the strategies you've learned from years of playing XCOM and applying it to this game, because it is... It is not that game.
0: Would you agree? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think it's interesting because, you know, XCOM, the the strategy video game, uh, uses a lot of very board game-like mechanics. I mean, there's a, there's a grid and you move spaces and you have turns and, you know. So you would think if you're making an XCOM board game, you probably would apply some of those. But they took a completely different approach, which is really interesting. And it is a co-op game. You are trying to save the world from, from an attack from the skies by aliens. Uh, but each player – is a different role and has wildly different responsibilities, but one player determines how much money can be uh, allocated out to each of the other players' uh, resources, right? So you're, so Christian, you were the science officer, right? So you were trying to research different technologies that would give benefits to all the other players, but you needed money to, you know, spend on scientists to apply to these these technologies so you need need money but then i would need money because i was the military officer and i was trying to defend the actual base from incoming alien attack and meanwhile zav he was not only allocating the money but he was also doing like global strategy and you know launching jets into the air and launching satellites into the sky to try to protect us so we all have these equally important roles but there's a very small amount of money that can be allocated so it's a wonderful Cooperative negotiation thing, and then you add in the fact that it's all timed, and so it's this manic energy that you know you're like, I need, I need to, I need money, money, money. Oh beep, you know, uh, timer is up. No more talking. Um, I, that part was all really, really fun. It just, it just never coalesced into a streamlined experience, and I really wish we had had somebody there to teach us who had played before so we could have kind of got up on our feet faster rather than struggling through the first few turns. And as you said, that app just does not do a good job of teaching the game, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, you were super hyped for this game going in, and I remember, I'm wondering if your opinion has changed looking back on it and maybe taking into account our problem because we did figure out some rules. I, I think they definitely could be worded could have been worded better but we did eventually figure out something that we were misinterpreting um, but you were super hyped on this game and you came away from it I feel very mediocre. Has that changed one way or the other since then or is it still kind of a meh for you?
0: No, I, I mean I wouldn't go so far as meh but I definitely was disappointed. It's a game I definitely would love to play again but I I thought i had heard the hype about this game I really thought, the, the reason I think I was disappointed is that I was so excited to see how an app would integrate into a board game experience, and it really feels like the next big frontier for board gaming is like you know randomizing things and managing the game through a, a thing that can think, right? But that was the least exciting part of the game. That was the part that let me down the most, and so that's why I felt uh, a little disappointed by it. Is because it just I I wanted to play the game without the app, <laughs> so. That's a bit of a bummer.
2: I mean, doesn't board gaming inherently lend itself to physical things instead of digital things? I know that you said that one of the things you were excited about was the integration of the app with the, you know, the physical pieces. But I personally hate reading things digitally. I would prefer paper over reading an app like 10 times out of 10.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, they're... they're, I think there are really cool benefits to having the app. Like I said, no two games are the same because the app does this job of randomizing things and creating certain situations that you have to react to that would be very difficult to simulate without, you know, computation, without a a processor randomizing things. But at the same time, I feel like they could have also used the app to make that reading stuff not intrude into the game. The way we played it, there certainly seemed to have to have somebody – with their nose in the app at all times, like going, okay, now do this. Okay, now do that. And I feel like you could have had the app do all that with sound cues or, or some other way to keep you on the board and out of the app. You know what I mean? Uh, Jicky Jack's in the, uh, in the chat here, asks if it makes me less excited for the Alchemists, which is a game I talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, it's really the the big game that came out of Essen and BGG Con, and it is another game that's going to integrate the app. Now, the Alchemist uses it very differently because the Alchemist is a deduction game where everybody is trying to use the information that the other players are giving them to deduce what. These you know these formulas when they're creating these alchemical reactions because they're wizards you know and they're trying to figure out what what uh, what reagents do what in the context of the game and they all have their own apps it's not one app that is dictating the game it's everybody's inputting information into their own personal device to use to sort of keep track of the information they've got so it's a very different application and i'm really hoping it doesn't let me down uh because i'm very excited about the alchemist and i've heard only good things so far about that game so very uh very curious to try that one as well but yeah i have to say XCOM the board game while i was super hyped for it it just it didn't live up to the hype at least for me at least not yet would you agree, Christian, is this something you really would love to revisit, or did you kind of feel like, eh, not so much?
1: I would like to revisit it after the app is finalized, hopefully improved. And I do think at the end we got a better handle on it, like what pieces get cleared between rounds, what don't, and and how to play the game. I thought it was fun, but of course I play way less board games, so you know, for all I know, I'm sitting around playing you know pick a mid tier I'm I'm playing Haze thinking it's great because it's the first first person shooter I've ever played and everyone's like no you idiot you need to be playing you know Far Cry 4 and I'm like I've never tasted that so, well it, I, I, had fun. I don't know I, I think if you're having fun you're having fun that's not you don't have to
0: feel like that it's no you know if you enjoy Haze enjoy Haze it's no big deal um, or the equivalent no one enjoyed it <laughs> I did have to play that.
1: I had to play that game for review
0: and it was terrible anyway um all right. That's going to that's gonna do it for this week's episode. Uh, we do have our parting gift to get to, so stick around for that. But that's going to wrap us up for the main show. Andrea, thank you so much for sticking around for the whole thing. What, um, what are you up to? Where can people see your stuff?
2: Well, I am doing GT News on Game Trailers. You can watch that on gametrailers.com or on youtube.com slash GT News. That's Monday through Friday. I'm also um, in GameStop stores around the US and. Um, you know, I do other stuff here and there. We're going to be at the Game Awards and PSX this weekend doing coverage for game trailers there. So please do uh, tune in. We'll be having a live stream uh, on Saturday and it should be really exciting. I'm looking forward to checking out some stuff. Supposedly, PlayStation has some big announcements in store. So you guys should have a juicy episode for next Monday.
0: That sounds awesome. I'm excited for that. I hope that they uh, I hope they take the PlayStation into uncharted territory.
1: Oh. <laughs> boom, boom ching. And I hope nice. they take it to a God of War crash bandicoot <laughs> Wipe out territory. <laughs> smooth,
0: smooth, Christian. Um, <laughs> all right, you already mentioned your uh, your show that's tomorrow if you're listening to this on Monday. what what uh, what else is going on?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm recording an album, my first comedy album tomorrow, Tuesday in San Diego at Le Stats at 9 p.m. It's free. Please come out. It might rain in San Diego, but it's going to be a great show. Um, Thursday, this, not this one, the, this fourth, I'm doing a sketch show at Nerd Melt. And the Thursday after that is Improv versus Stand Up, the show I created at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. And people that are in New York, we do it monthly out there as well. Boris Heiken hosts it. Um, if you want to hear me talk not video games, Stuart Noct and I do a a dumb little podcast called Uninformed Opinions, where we just kind of ramble for 20 to 30 minutes on dumb topics. It's imagine we have concerns and then make it less funny (laughs) and, um, (laughs) less topic guided. (laughs) And that's kind of what it is. It's a fun, it's two friends talking. Uh, Jeff, what, what, uh, what's shaking for you as we grind into the holidays well
0: as you mentioned we have concerns is uh, three times a week over at wehaveconcerns.com hope people give that a shot check it out and uh we do the slash film cast over at slashfilm.com we're talking uh, we're talking baba duke this week we just did uh they did a special for the star star wars trailer they did a special i wasn't on that one but uh you should still check it out and um if you like this show Boy, it would be great if you told a friend. Or how about giving us a nice review on the iTunes? A little five-star review is certainly helpful. We really appreciate it. But even more than that, tell a buddy. Tell a friend. Maybe two. Uh, we'd love to get more people aware of the fun stuff we do over here at DLC. So uh, spread the word. We really appreciate that. Uh, all right, guys. It's time now for The parting Gift. This is your party. John Madigan and his wife made that lovely bumper. We appreciate them doing it. Um, We got a recommendation for the people, Andrea?
2: Um, Yes, I do. In advance of the Battle of the Five Armies, which is just a few weeks away now, I highly recommend going back and rereading the original Hobbit book. I've been doing it myself, and I... I forgot just how whimsical the book is. And Tolkien's just such a fantastic storyteller. Granted, it's not as good as The Lord of the Rings, which, I mean, I think they're kind of apples to oranges, but... If you guys have never read the book and you're interested at all in uh, watching the movie, it'll help give you a lot of context for what's going to happen in the third installment, uh, the the final big battle showdown, which I'm really looking forward to. So that's what I would recommend. Me
0: too. I uh, I went the other direction. I, I went ahead and bought the Blu-ray of the first two movies to get myself excited about the, the last one.
2: <laughs> well, I did that too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I do love that book, though. It's a great book. Uh, big part of my childhood. Christian. How about a parting gift from you?
1: Yeah, I'm kind of stealing this from Amy Poehler in her book, Yes, Please. She talks about asking your parents to tell you about the day you were born and how it can often be a great story that most of us have never heard. But as Thanksgiving has come and gone, but we're still in the holiday season, um, I think it's fun to ask your family, someone in your family, a story about you when you were young that you don't know. I mean, far too often we sit around and roll our eyes sometimes at our family members and like, oh, tell them the story about that time the car broke down again. But ask a question. Gear the conversation the way you want it to go and learn something about yourself that you may not remember and uh, have a laugh with that.
0: Awesome. Uh, I want to recommend uh, The Newsroom. Guys, wow. I just caught up to The Newsroom last night. And this season, this third, final season of The Newsroom on HBO is so good. It's really different than the last two seasons. It's much shorter for one, it's only six episodes, but they are jam packed with. Craziness, and it's like ramping everything up. And man, Aaron Sorkin's writing is so good, and all these characters, I love them, and I just think this show is great. Everyone, ugh, I wish we lived in a world that Aaron Sorkin wrote, but we don't. We live in this world. Anyway, I appreciate this episode, Andrea. You being on it, awesome. Thank you again for for hanging out with us. Anytime, you're always Thanks welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, and Christian thank you thank you to Zach Holder our awesome producer thank you guys for listening we really appreciate it we'll be back next week Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific time if you want to listen live and until then think about what you put out into the world make it a better place